Welcome to Voices of Taos. My name is Laura Martin-Baseman, and I'm the producer of this new podcast from the Taos News. Every week, we will be bringing you a voice from our Taos community. This week on Voices of Taos, we have Carmen Ritzlaff, and she is the pastor of El Pueblito, which is a United Methodist Church in El Prado, and she's been there since this past summer in 2023. Wonderful, July. So... Carmen, tell us a little bit about what brought you to Towson. Where were you before you came to our community? Well, um, like a lot of people, I have been a longtime visitor, regular visitor to Taos. Um, I like to say that I've, um, I, I do say that I have been trying to move to Taos for 30 years, and I finally made it in 2023. Congratulations. Uh, thanks. And um, so right before this, uh, I was actually commuting between Albuquerque and Austin, Texas. Um, We had moved to Taos in 2020 and then moved to Albuquerque. We thought we were moving to Taos. We were actually moving to Albuquerque. And I worked at UNM Hospital there in health literacy. Uh, It was a good time to be back in public health um, during the pandemic. A good time to help out. And it was a uh, and while we were living in Albuquerque, our our good friend died, and we took custody of our goddaughter. And my father was diagnosed with ALS, who lived in Austin as well. And so I ended up um, working between the cities for a couple of years, and then um, and then I came to back to Taos to become the pastor of El Poblito. Goodness, that mm-hmm. is a very busy pandemic time. And, yeah. you know, some of us, I commute right now between Santa Fe and Taos, but that is nothing <laughs> compared to between Albuquerque and Austin. Yeah. So, yeah. It was a lot. And, you know, life life happens. So you were working in health care a little bit at mm-hmm. UNM Hospital. What exactly did that role entail? Mm. I worked in the health literacy department, mm-hmm. the health literacy office of the of UNM Hospital, and it was really uh, wonderful work. It is really a, an emerging field, health literacy, and it is um, basically making uh, medical language accessible to all, to the rest of us who are not doctors. <laughs> and so we worked on um, written communication as well as um, a t- the teach back method, uh, teaching providers to talk in plain language and also to have patients repeat back the important information uh, to make sure that it, it is received as intended. And it's just a really, um, it's exciting. It's about empowering people to know what's going on in their own health care. So I did that for, um, for about a year. And I had before that, I was a pastor of an outdoor church in uh, Dripping Springs, Texas, for eight years. And But before that, I had been in public health, and I had done work mostly in uh, health education, community health, mostly in violence prevention, in, interpersonal violence, gang involvement prevention. I'd done some HIV-AIDS prevention work and uh, a lot of migrant farm worker health. Um, I grew up in Wapiton, North Dakota, which is a uh, was then and still is a, a place where many migrant farm workers work in the summer, and so it was nice to be in 
on the other end of that in Texas for a long time, I did minor health uh, work and, and all over the country. Anyway, so I was in public health and I um, went to seminary <laughs> and became a pastor and it felt linked to me. It does still feel linked to me. And that public health and ministry background is part of how I got to El Poblito. My predecessor, Pastor Sherry Lyon, um, also has that combination of experience, and it fits well with a church that is really involved in its community with the Shared Table Food Pantry. So when she was retiring, um, I had been been in, we had been in uh, my husband and I had been in Taos for a little while, and then moved to Albuquerque so I could work at UNM, and. We had been in, we had met, and we'd been in conversation. And she asked if I would be in conversation with the district about about this position. And um, yeah, it all worked out. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. So, how does the United Methodist Church like place its pastors? Mm -hmm. I know it's different for different um, Christian communities. Exactly. Yeah, the Methodists are somewhat unique, a little bit more like a Roman Catholics in terms of. Um, the organization placing pastors rather than um, the congregation calling a pastor. Right. And so um, I am ordained in the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the ELCA, okay. the largest Lutheran denomination in the country. And we are in full communion with the United Methodist Church, which means that we can share clergy. Cool. And that especially happens a lot in small towns where... Um, Maybe there are m more churches and less clergy or uh, different combinations of those things. And so in this case, um, that's what happened. I, I'm a Lutheran pastor serving in a Methodist congregation. I'm the first Lutheran pastor, ELCA pastor serving in a UMC church in New Mexico, I believe. But we have had UMC pastors serving in the ELCA church. Oh, cool. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, it's nice to have flexibility, especially mm -hmm. in rural areas. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So tell me a little bit about Shared Table. I think it's a organization that a lot of people who aren't living in Taos would know about a little bit. Absolutely. We are marking our 30th year this year, 2024. So Congratulations. Started in, yeah, it's a big deal. It started in 1994. Um. And so the share table is a food pantry, and it's the second largest food pantry in Taos County. Uh, the first being the largest is St. James Episcopal Church food pantry, then the share table, and then um, Cuesta, uh, North Central food pantry in Cuesta. And um, so what we do is we, we distribute food two times a month, the second and fourth Wednesdays of the month. From 8.30 to noon at El Poblito and El Prado. And then we also serve at Talpa Community Center from 3 to 4 those same Wednesdays in the afternoon. And so um, it started as, uh, as the name sort of implies, shared table, sort of um, feeding people that need, anyone that needed food, and it was a hot meal. And then for many years, it was a walk-through food pantry um, where you went through and picked out the things that you that your you or your family needed. And during the pandemic, like 
like most food pan, like all, all food pantries, really, um, it went to a drive-through model, and it has stayed that way. Um, some others have gone back to being. Uh, many other food pantries have gone back to being uh, walk-through, which is nice because then people have a little more choice. But um, Sherry Lyon, my predecessor, did some uh, client surveys, and our clients preferred the drive-through. But also our volume has dictated that we we really had to stay that way. We have uh, essentially doubled from pre-pandemic to post-pandemic levels. And um, yesterday we had our distribution, and we gave out a little more than 450 boxes between um, El Prado and Talpa. And so it's... Uh, it's now a very fast and big operation. We had about 25 volunteers doing that work mm. and a small staff. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. That's a, a big thing to put on twice a month. It takes yeah. a lot of organization and coordination. And where do you all get your um, items from that you put in those boxes? Good question. Um, so... The three big food pantries and several smaller ones like the Men's Shelter and uh, Dream Tree get a, a low uh, get food from the Food Depot Food Bank in Santa Fe every week. Every week they come to Taos and uh, bring a, bring food for all of us, and so we get um, probably a third of our food that way, um, and then. And they're, they're just amazing. They're an amazing organization that really supports Taos County and all of the rest of northern New Mexico. And we get up from them. We buy some food at, um, at bulk pricing, but also they have done their own amazing fundraising, so they give us a lot of free food as well, a lot. And then we... We take donations of food. Um, so a small part is people actually just bringing cans of food, um, things they're not going to use or things they just buy extra at the grocery store, and that's just so helpful for us. And then, But the other two big sources of our food are we, from donations, we buy food. We buy produce, fresh produce, so that each box always has fresh produce. And then we buy... Uh, things that we don't, we haven't got, been able to get from the food bank. Um, like a lot of times we, we buy peanut butter, tuna, those protein items. And then we get this, the other, about a third of our food we get from Food Rescue, which is a really unique part of the shared table. Um, our food pantry operations manager, Mike Flaherty, every day goes to the local grocery, all of the local grocery stores and rescues food. So Ooh. food that's about to expire or just past its expiration date but is still good. Um, cartons of eggs that part of them are broken mm. uh, or things that just didn't sell for some reason. So really rescuing huge amounts of food and that's uh, a lot of where our food comes from. That's a pretty amazing thing to know about, that that actually food that would otherwise go wasted is actually getting used in the local community. That's very exciting. It is. And this we're really grateful to the stores that um, work in partnership with Mike and really, um, really work with us to keep to, to get good food to people that need it. And there's a lot of people in Taos County that need 
Absolutely. Food. And it's unfortunately, as you said, since the pandemic, um, it just seems like there's a lot of families who are struggling with food scarcity. And have you just even in your time since last summer noticed an increase in usage? We've had a dramatic increase in the last half year, My last goodness. six months. Um, when I came in July was right when some of the extra benefits um, from the pandemic were being cut and rescinded. So there was a decrease in SNAP benefits. And everybody remembers last summer when inflation made the grocery prices spike. I mean, we all felt it. It, it was just dramatic how much less your dollars got you at the grocery store. And so those two things really hit families hard. I think, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I, other people think this too. It's not a unique idea, but really the the pandemic, it caused some, some, some more inequity, but a lot of it was it exposed all the inequity that was already there. And, and it, uh, it broke some things, but it also just showed us how many things were already broken <laughs> and have, can't sort of be put back together. And so a lot of our – so our need has increased dramatically just in the last six months. We've been really just struggling to keep up since I got here. And we're in the process of doing some strategic planning to try to figure out what to do. And food pantries all over the, all over the country are, are in the same crisis. Um, as that gap gets bigger, wider between the rich and the poor in our country – the food pantries, which are meant to be a safety net and are primarily located in churches, most of them, um, can't actually fill that need. But we're, you know, we'll, we're doing the best we can and um, we'll keep giving out as much food as we can. And at Shared Table, there, we're, we're not a government, um, a TFAP program, a government commodities program, and so there really are no um, eligibility requirements. Um, we assume if you're there... You need the food. And that's what we hear in the lines um, that, you know, hopefully this average of about 15-pound bo box of food twice a month and whatever they can get at other places um, keeps people from missing rent or missing a bill and that sort of um, spiral that can happen once, once you start getting behind. And so that's what... That's what we hope to be, just a little um, a little bridge. Absolutely a stopgap mm -hmm. between someone and the, you know, having very dire consequences for other things they can't have in their life. Well, thank you so much, Carmen. We're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back. Okay. Hello, I'm Chris Baker, the publisher of the Taos News. I hope you're enjoying the latest episode of Voices of Taos. Our talented staff works hard to bring you the best in local news and entertainment, and we couldn't do it without your support. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Taos News. If you're already a subscriber, thank you so much. By subscribing, you have 24-hour access to our online edition and receive the paper delivered to your home or business, and you also get 25 magazines covering the finest of northern New Mexico including Taos Women, Tradiciones, and the Best of Taos. To start your subscription, visit us at TaosNews.com today, and I appreciate your support. 
right, so we are back with Pastor Carmen. She is the pastor of El Poblito, and we've been talking about chaired table. So one thing that we discussed before the break is how important it is for communities and um, also churches to fill in the gaps between needs that people have in the community, especially around food and homelessness often, Mm -hmm. and just wanted to know a little bit more about how individuals in the community, when they're not associated with a religious organization, how can they get involved? Can anyone go to Shared Table, even if they're not a part of the community of El Poblito? And also, can anyone volunteer as well? Yes, absolutely. And that is one of the great things about Shared Table. It's really um, well known in Taos. It's And it's um, the community, I think, knows that it owns the Shared Table. Um, it's a ministry of El Poblito, and El Poblito uh, puts a lot of resources in it and is its home, physical home, of course, but it really belongs to the community of Taos. Uh, most of our donations are from local individuals. Small and frequent donations are our base. It's really about neighbors feeding neighbors. The people that come, our clients that come to get food are... Uh, just a wide swath of the Taos population, people who uh, come on foot and maybe don't have as regular or consistent housing to people who just need a little help this month to get over uh, the hump or to get to the end of the month. Or because we hear, like, um, I have my grandchildren this summer and I didn't know that I was going to have that and just need to stretch things a little bit farther. So... It's um, there's no there's no criteria there's no judgment it's just if people need food and and for our volunteers like yesterday we had about twenty five volunteers and about a third of them maybe had some connection to El Poblito or members or had some connection and the rest um, are just community members and anyone can come at eight o'clock on the second and fourth Wednesdays and volunteer with us and it's a real sense of community. Um, for the people who volunteer there, um, many of them say, I don't I don't go to church, but this is my church. This is me serving my neighbors, helping feed my neighbors. And and we have many people who are both clients and volunteers. Wow. Uh, we had uh, a really busy day uh, this fall, and uh, uh, we had a smaller volunteer crew that showed up in our food pantry manager, Mike Flaherty, went, through the line and ask people if they'd come in and volunteer and they did amazing it's amazing it's it's really cool and we're just very grateful to all of our neighbors who help support it and and just help help each other out that's what we want to do right we want to just help each other out when we need a little bit of extra help and you have a really unique i think perspective on this need in our community cuz you've worked in places all throughout you know the country and in the southwestern part of the U.S. in particular, this is seems to be, as you said, a kind of a national issue. Mm-hmm. El Poblito is one of many food banks in the state, in the country, that is getting more individuals who are asking for its resources and help from it. What are some hopes that you have to kind of 
curb this crisis, you know, and we did talk a little bit about the socioeconomic gap widening and mm-hmm. such, but what are some hopes that you have to see this decrease? Um, I feel particularly hopeful about that in Taos because there's a lot of good um, conversations happening about the whole um, this, the whole wraparound need, right? Like a lot of people in Taos in particular, we hear a lot about the cost of housing, um, of buying or of renting. And so, you know, f- our, our food boxes maybe become a way to afford your mortgage or your rent that month. But so we we are so excited about being in partnership with things like a, uh, 100% Taos and with our local uh, county and city officials and as well as the other food agencies, but just thinking about how can we how can we make life a little more stable and a little less stressful for all people who live in Taos County? And I think um, I think it's going to take things like that, where we look at the whole big picture. What are what's happening with food? What's happening with housing? What's happening with wages? What's happening with employment? Um, we got, you know, we have families, more and more people doubling up and tripling up in smaller homes and spaces, and it's all connected. Yeah, and what keeps you hopeful? Um, I think, well, being at the shared table keeps me hopeful. Uh, that feeling of community from both the clients and the volunteers every time um, fills me up. And... Uh, going to community meetings like 100% Taos and working with local agencies who, I don't know, there's just a lot of people here that are really trying to look at the big picture. Um, We're also working with Not Forgotten Outreach and Taos Land Trust with some of their youth corps crews uh, volunteering with us. And that kind of partnership, that gives me hope and keeps me going. Yeah. And what is 100% Taos? I think some of our listeners might not be familiar with that organization. Well, it's kind of new to me, too, but there's a, it's part of 100% um, – or it's – yeah, I think it's part of 100% uh, New Mexico. And it's um, – the idea is how can all of these – the idea, as I understand it, I'm new to the group, but um, all, how can all of our local governing and employers and not-for-profits work together so that – of children especially, but all people who live in Taos can access the services that are already here. A lot of the times, lots of great things exist, but people don't know, like you mentioned, um, food stamps, which is now SNAP. I mean, we want our clients to also, who are eligible to also be on SNAP, and sometimes there's there's a barrier to the application process and that kind of thing. And so we're working, uh, we're having conversations with all the food pantries and the, uh, everybody that's interested in food in Taos, uh, our, our county and city officials to maybe have some days where we host a registration event where people help people get signed up and that kind of thing, just to make sure again, like there are a lot of services, but does, is everybody who needs them able to access them? And I think sometimes people aren't aware that you could 
do that here in Taos. You don't have to drive to Santa Fe. You don't have to go down to Albuquerque to get some of these resources. It's wonderful because I think for a lot of people in need, the price of gas, transportation Absolutely. is a huge barrier to getting access to things. Right. And just knowing what documents you need for oh each different thing. And um, yeah, so we're just, those kind of collaborations, I think, are really exciting. Um, our uh, Enchanted Circle interfaith group met at the Nest recently, the new um, housing initiative here, and they're you know, they're putting together a one-stop shopping where different agencies come there and people can access or find out about services. And that kind of thing is what's really needed, I think, and going to be really helpful. Wonderful. Well, that makes me hopeful, <laughs> too, <Good>. actually. <laughs> How exciting. Um, so I guess one more question I have for you. This is a little bit off topic of where we've been. You've worked with um, immigration issues mm -hmm. and communities that are maybe undocumented here mm -hmm. in the U.S. Mm -hmm. There's so much conflict in the political scene right mm -hmm. now with talking about um, people who are undocumented coming to the U.S., how do you make space for people to have conversations about that? It's such a tense topic, and I know neighbors and family members are getting up in arms about it, but you being someone who's been trained in conversations with people, how do you, how do you handle those things? Oh, that's a great question. Um, for me, it's part of why I moved from public health into, um, into the ministry um, and sort of have moved back and forth between those two worlds because um, it, it, I've, I've worked with immigration issues and immigrants and undocumented people for most, most of my life. And, the, um, and also I was working in, in fields like, um, like HIV AIDS and feeling like I was sometimes in some pretty sterile public health environments where you couldn't talk about how the reason we're, we need to do this is not because of the data. The reason that we need to do this is because it's the right thing to do. And so having, for me, those conversations um, are facilitated by, by each of us tapping into what is our moral compass. And so for me, that was sort of grounding and reconnecting more deeply with my own faith traditions so that I can be a better partner with other people in their faith traditions uh, just being knowing my own, um, that was how I approached it. But I think there's for there's as many approaches to it as there are individuals. But it, that's one thing I think is to think um, beyond the numbers, beyond the numbers of jobs or the numbers of people coming or the numbers of people needing this or that service. Um, what I, I encourage people to get in touch with their own. Um, inner moral compass. So at going back just basically, um, my faith tells me to um, to serve my neighbor. And all faith traditions have some version of that, love thy neighbor as thyself. And so if I were in that situation, if I were in the situation where I was struggling to feed my family or struggling to have hope for the future, I would, and it was so, I felt so desperate that I was willing to leave my home and my home culture and everything I knew. I would want the person in the place that I was going to welcome me and try to help me. 
And so I, I sort of try to boil it down to those those basics that go that are deeper and historically farther back than any of our um, than our country or any of our current borders. Yeah, I find that to be very touching and a very compassionate way of looking beyond the numbers. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very big struggle when you have things that are called crises or mm-hmm. anything of that sort, whether it be immigration or wars, to look past the numbers and see individual people who are experiencing those hardships. Yeah, and it's easy to come from that um, scarcity mindset, right? Absolutely. I feel like if if there's not enough, I want to make sure that I have enough or my family has enough. And just to move to that, um, there's enough. There's enough. We can figure out a way for there to be enough for everybody. And, yeah, I think that's, I think that's really, really key. And it kind of brings us back to a little bit of the conversation of we were having before of the gap between the rich and the poor mm-hmm. getting so extreme. And I think that scarcity mindset is not helping us these mm-hmm. days, but it's really encouraging to see that there's so many people in Taos mm-hmm. who are fighting that scarcity mindset and are trying to work to help their neighbors and their community. Right. Trying to con- trying to get that message out that there is enough. And also, you know, when we say it, we're convincing ourselves, too, because the news sort of feeds off that scarcity mindset, you know? There's, Absolutely. There's people come in to get your things or whatever, There's or there's not going to be enough. And that that's where, for some of us, our faith traditions help to lean back on trust that there is enough. And, and we can... We can all have what we need. And that was reminding me, too, that one of the thing, one of the conversations that's sort of tangential but part of that bigger picture for Taos is um, in the food world is also supporting our local growers and producers so that um, we can uh, provide some of that food locally. And we know the pandemic showed us that food chains aren't always uh, perfect and reliable and work and so that's one of those examples of um, how as a community we can start thinking about providing for each other and northern New Mexico has such a beautiful history of agriculture Mm -hmm. and you know with the Sikhs having one of the oldest democratic forms of government in the United States too so it's so important being able to lean back on those traditions and maybe they can help us out Exactly. Well. The yeah, that the long farming tradition, the sacred tradition, and that also built on this uh, the knowledge, the indigenous knowledge here, and having still having that history so accessible to us here is really unique and a resource. And um, so to to help um, help us all honor that memory and those memories that's those living memories and learn from people who've been growing food here for millennia absolutely yeah Yeah. it's a blessing i would say unironically (laughs) to live in a community with that historical heritage yeah Yeah. 
Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Carmen. We really appreciate you being here today. And um, if people want to volunteer, you said that they can show up at 8 a.m. on the second and last Wednesday. Second and fourth. And fourth, excuse me. That makes yeah, sense. It's, yeah, it's tricky. <laughs> uh, the second and fourth Wednesdays, 8, eight o'clock to noon. Okay. Uh, yeah, you can just show up or you can uh, call El Poblito or go to our website or email and, or Facebook. And, um, yeah, we also have some, we have nights where we do portioning in advance and we also have a home delivery program once a month. So if that, if that particular schedule doesn't fit with you, just, yeah, can, can contact me and I'll. Wonderful. And we'll put a link in the show notes for that. And well, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And thanks for doing this. That's another great thing about Taos, really, is this local newspaper and local radio that's really local. It's really, it's really been fun. Yeah, we are very passionate about making sure that the organizations that support us at a ground level get their voices heard and because they, you know, feed us literally. (laughs) It's all one big circle. Thank you so much, Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Voices of Taos, a podcast by the Taos News, produced by Laura Martin Baseman. Our music was produced and arranged by Miles Bonney, featuring musicians Francisco Velarde, Ruben Hernandez, and Margot Macias. Please join us next week for another episode of Voices of Taos.